Hi, uh, Rachel. It's Grandma calling. I just want to thank you for what a great day you made yesterday. Thank you very much for everything you did, and I hope you're getting some rest. It's just uh, unbelievable. Hi, Grandma. So, do you want to play, Grandma? You want to play that part from Measure Nine? Yep. Hello, fellow shit sisters and siblings. Reverend Rachel here. Today, I'm going to introduce you to one of the elders whose experiences led to many of my irreverent insights. My own mother. Specifically, Mom and I are going to talk about how elder caregivers may have to advocate for an end to life in a litigious CYA American medical system that often encourages intervention over intention. Should be a barrel of laughs. Before I introduce you to Mom, there are a few things I should explain, including who I am and why I am doing this podcast. For those who are interested in words as well as audio, you can find my whole origin story on my website, thisisgettingold.com. Just add some dashes. Or the short version of the story in my podcast trailer. In sum, after accumulating 10 years, and counting, of elder care intel, I decided to create my irreverent empire of insights, anecdotes, and audio to support the undertakings of you, my fellow shit sisters and siblings. I am passionate about helping you shorten your elder care learning curve, avoid reinventing the wheel, realize you are not alone, have compassion for your family and for yourself, weather the sandwich generation squeeze and laugh loudly and irreverently, even in your darkest hours. The purpose of my monthly podcast is to provide empathy and education about the start, middle, and end of the elder care trenches. I plan to interview fellow shit sisters and siblings, as well as elder care experts, and sometimes the elders themselves. Speaking of which, I'm now going to set the stage for my first ever guest. Eight years ago, mom and dad lived three hours away from me, which meant we could visit frequently or rather, we had to visit frequently to manage their end-of-life issues. When Dad was failing of everything and nothing but wanted to stay in the same town, we set him up an apartment that had Medicaid aides on site and a daycare for elders down the street, which is basically a poor man's assisted living. We sent my mom to Virginia, where she could live in a adorable and affordable apartment of her own near my sister. But Mom and I have always been close in a she-lets-me-tease-her-mercilessly sort of way. So since Dad died in 2015, and now all the Virginia grandkids are grown, she really wanted to be able to see her young grandson and my family more frequently. So the whole family was thrilled when my dear neighbor and elder care consultant helped us find a gorgeous rest home just one mile from my own home, and then came COVID. On March 1st of 2020, I moved my mother in, took her to a celebratory dinner, but within weeks, out of a very effective abundance of caution, her home had closed to all outsiders. I had to redirect the movers to my house, store all of her stuff in my basement, then shuttle dozens of loads of books and music and clothes to the door of her rest home, where the staff would then have to bring it into her apartment and try to help her unpack. 
Next, as you all know, the school shut down. My husband and I were lucky to at least be able to start working from home. But gone were the plans for my son to walk to grandma's after school for hang time and piano practicing, and gone was our ability to host grandma on weekend nights for movies and home-cooked meals. That said, a year later, we are not complaining. No staff or residents were lost to COVID in mom's home. And knowing that she was in a medically and socially supportive and safe environment was an enormous load off. All that to say, grandma time has been limited to FaceTime or phone exchanges, with the exception of the story you're about to hear. Oh, and speaking of hearing, I might seem like I'm always yelling at her, which is because I inherited her word-swallowing muttering, and she has hearing aids she refuses to use. So the result is a sometimes awkward exchange of forceful directives on my side and flaky responses on hers. And now, it is time for you to meet Mom. Mother, say hello. Mother, it is now your turn. Say hello. Hello. All right. So, Mom, would you like to explain to the listening audience what impressive technological feat you just pulled off for this podcast? (laughs) No, I can't explain it. That's for damn sure. You can. I I can. Well, everybody should know that my mother and I are talking to each other on Zoom, which is an absolute miracle. So the story we want to tell you today starts back in August, where mom had an issue with one breast that she she did what, mom? How, How long had you noticed something looked a little bit different on your body? Uh, that was after I moved here, mm-hmm. which and was you, the 1st of March. Yeah, so you moved there on the 1st of March, and at what point did you notice something that maybe needed to be checked out by a doctor? I'd say it was a couple months. A couple months. So you, a, a couple, couple months. months before I realized that I had been noticing. So in summary, you let a couple months go by before you decided that there was something happening with your body that maybe a doctor should take a look at. Is that fair to say? Right. Right. And would you like to describe to our listening audience your behavior or your choices, your habit over your lifetime of waiting a couple months before doing something about something concerning? Where does that come from? Uh, The way I am. (laughs) No, it was a panic, of course, that I, I realized I had had something there before. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was all over. But mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I realized maybe not. Maybe not. So mom's self-admitted process over her lifetime has been the ostrich approach to medical care. I guess what happened is I talked to a a friend, and she had been having something checked. And I said, I was wondering about something on me, and I kind of described what I thought I was seeing, and she thought, I better go check it. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness for the advice. <laughs> I'm glad you took that person's advice. So, as mom alluded to, she had had a ex- previous experience with cancer, a lumpectomy, which I think mom occurred 20, 20 years ago. years ago. 22 years ago, mom had a lumpectomy, and from 
my maybe cold-hearted, distracted, 20-something vantage point, it was pretty straightforward. She had surgery, and there's been no issue since, in part because the interpretation was that it was due to hormone treatment that now, in retrospect, we all realize is not so good. So mom, being mom, went on her merry way and assumed that that was behind her, which technically it turned out to be was, because uh, when we finally did get her to the doctor, we learned that this was a new recurrence of cancer, which is actually good news. But that then sent us down an odyssey. So the day we went to, I guess, when we went to the oncology center to have it checked out by specialists, it was immediately apparent to me that they realized you had cancer. So mom, I'm curious what your experience was of that multiple hours that we spent in that office where they suddenly surrounded you with specialists and whisked you into various rooms and did various assessments and biopsies. What was your point of view on that whole experience and what was going through your mind? Well, I thought they did an excellent job. Did you think you had cancer at that point? I thought probably. Mm -hmm. But I had been assured 22 years ago after radiation and uh, Love Becky that it was probably gone. Right. So well, this group told me that this it does return. It can return in cycles. Right. And it's also, as you'll hear, the mother insists on not fully <laughs> mm, comprehending this point. This is a wholly different cancer. So it did not come back. It is a different cancer that is occurring. So mom and I had the experience of sitting in this medical center for a number of hours and having probably one of the best experiences anybody could ever hope to have. So we were personally handholed through the emotion of the moment. They tapped every specialist they could to come in and do all the testing at once. And I actually think this was a positive accident of COVID that they didn't want her to have to come back multiple times and have exposure. So we saw surgeons, we had ultrasounds, we had biopsies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And as mom said, every last one of them were absolutely fantastic. But by the time we left, it was very clear that mom likely had cancer and we didn't know what that meant. I had my ideas of how bad it was or wasn't. So I'm curious, what did you think about how bad it could be and what that meant for, for you next? I, I, I really can't say I, I had a definite idea. I figured something was growing again. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure what approach they were going to take. But uh, doing all the work they did that day, I'm sure they were going to give me some alternatives. So this is where mom's very, um, well, how do we say, mom, your ability to separate yourself from reality sometimes comes in handy. So while I am not a, in a wildly mm. emotional, fear-based person, I will say in that moment, I was like, all right, she's 86. The cancer's back. She sat on it for months. So she's probably going to die pretty soon. Like it's probably fairly progressed and this is a bad thing and I got to wrap my head around what this means and, and how it will impact her life in hours. And maybe we have to move her into our house and all those fun thoughts. Mom, meanwhile, was happily resting in the like, I wonder what will happen next zone. So the silver lining in all of this, I think he, we agreed in a weird way, was because of the imperfect 
management of COVID, it was better for me to take you to all your appointments, even though normally I'm not even allowed to get within six feet of you and visit you for more than a half an hour. But in this instance, it was better for family to take you to all these medical appointments than have a stranger drive you and a stranger, you know, healthcare assistant. So we got to take full advantage of it. And after all of these appointments that then started occurring, where did we go after each one of them, mother? Where did we go? Where after? Did, after every appointment, where did I take you? With something I couldn't do with you otherwise. A special five treat. Five guys, right? It took me to five guys. <laughs> so that, that was fun. That was fun. So the, the irony was that it, despite the fact that my mother now had a cancer diagnosis, we got to see each other and hang out more and go to her favorite five guys in ways that we hadn't been able to do since she moved into town. <laughs> So now we, we go down the wormhole of appointments. The immediate next step was, okay, we can look into surgery. Surgery is always the first step with a small cancer recurrence. If you can remove it, that's great. And then you never have to worry about it again. So that seemed like an intuitive process at, at a glance. And then we quickly realized mom's aging stage made it a highly risky endeavor. And then it turns out, and what I say would say is a very good way they were not going to readily sign off on surgery for an 86-year-old former smoker who's never exercised a day in her life before she went to an oncologist, a pulmonologist, an anesthesiologist, and a cardiologist all <laughs> to determine eligibility for surgery. So mom, in the whirlwind of those appointments, which you know, I think rightly, all the doctors said, it's not a bad thing to get a baseline for your general health, just to kind of know what's going to get you. How did you experience all those appointments that then followed between September and December? Well, it was, I figured we were doing it in a row. We were, I spoke to the surgeon first, who discussed the mastectomy. Mm -hmm. And then we went on to, uh, the medication I would go on, which could happen now before we made the decision on the surgery, I was just sort of taking them. And then we had the pulmonologist. I thought was checking to see how my lungs were. And uh, she was very nice. I mean, then we went to the heart person. That was all in one day, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was kind of crazy day. I mean, we were scrambling. The cardiac person was scrambling. She said it's rather confusing with the mm -hmm. way we were set up, but we got it done. We got it done. Mm -hmm. So, and very quickly, what started happening was the person who tracks your general health at the rest home and I were having weekly, if not daily, emails about the upcoming appointments, which you went to had to go next. They had to make sure that your paperwork was ready and know what time that I was going to pick you up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so over the coming months, you had chest imaging and echoes and ultrasounds and assessments. Right. And by the end of the day, we had a not so short list of things that were happening in your body which across the board, everybody said, you know what, given mom's age and stage and how she did not take care of herself, she is not looking that bad at all. 
So I think the only thing that you specifically came away with was an inhaler, just to make sure with some light lung disease you have that you could uh, have maximum efficiency with your breathing. And then we entered new territory. Now, because they had all this new data uh, and testing and results, there were these new pieces of things that they could interpret as maybe new cancers or new aneurysms or new concerns. And very quickly, it became apparent. <laughs> very quickly, it became apparent. And in fact, I was told this explicitly that the medical system in which all these great people work insists that you then have to complete a full assessment of any of these potential concerns for fear that if you don't insure a patient, that this is not something that's going to imminently make them ill or kill them then you have not done your due diligence and it can come back to haunt you. So we now are going down a wormhole of what ifs. So at the end of all of this, we appointment after appointment after appointment, and with each appointment, COVID exposure after COVID exposure after COVID exposure for both of us, this was more, we were out in the world more than either one of us had been in the last eight, 10, 12 months. And the last final step after we had set surgery aside and had a great pill that was keeping the cancer at bay with excellent results, we had a vague ultrasound finding. We had two fuzzy tests, one which implied that mom potentially had an aneurysm that was going to, without its own surgery, could potentially kill her. And the other was an echocardiogram that didn't look precisely as they want it to look. And so the day that we showed up for the appointment and the person was reviewing the results, her suggestion was, you know what, we really should get another one. At which point my jaw dropped and I functionally said, if you can make it happen today, great. And otherwise we're not coming back. So mom, how, do, you, do you remember that was the other crazy day that we had where we had had appointment after appointment after appointment and both of us were feeling mm -hmm. exhausted and frustrated. And when you heard that we would need to come back, this was after we had left the uh, aneurysm guy, vascular surgeon, and they were threatening surgery. And now uh, we literally walked over to this building and find out you had to get another test. What was going through your mind and how did you feel about it all? Oh. I, I, by that time I was numb and I knew you were. And there was the aneurysm, another aneurysm showing up, so they said. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was what we were waiting on to hear. And I went in for my heart test. Mm -hmm. I walked out. Is it okay for me to say that? I walked out to you. And you said to me immediately, you have no aneurysm. You just don't have one at all after all that that they put us through. <laughs> yes. Somebody misread the report. Yes, so it turns out that whole time while we were juggling the cancer diagnosis, being threatened with new concerns over heart issues and emphysema and lung issues, the new specter looming its head was an aneurysm that was imminently gonna kill mom without surgery. And then it turns out it was just a vision of the old surgery that the guy professed and proclaimed was 
as spectacular as everybody told mom when it had been done that it was. So not only did we not need to come for follow-ups, we never needed to bring her back again. So that was both a tough day and a good day, but the reason you left that voicemail on my phone was because the test that you were in while I was receiving that phone call about the other punchline was something that wasn't supposed to happen. And after 10 years of elder care experiences, what I'm offering our listeners today is not taking no for an answer, has served us very, very well. So when kind, well-meaning people insist that the system that they're within will not allow for something that is important to the person that is getting impacted. I highly recommend that you did what, do what I did that day and say, how about we get three people on the phone to talk to each other, to decide how to do this and learn that actually the person down the hall just needs to turn the corner and go to the finance person and find out that it's okay to get this approved and which point the other person can find out that there's a slot open right now and we can get mom in and not have to come back. Generally speaking, I find that if you talk softly, carry a big smile, make friends with the people who are on the other sides of your medical team and are generally rooting mm -hmm. for the same team that you are, that you can come to a better solution. And from the very first part of the conversation, mom, if you recall, when you were first getting assessed back in September and it was immediately evident that something was wrong, there was an amazing nurse who you know, followed your yeah. testing right for months and checked in on us and made sure that, she, that we knew that she was there for us at any point and early on I tried to shortcut the um, approach that you and I have gotten good at over many years on your expectations for medical care which was uh, you have the ostrich approach you're 86 years old you never expected to live this long you know something's going to get you and you're not interested in massive interventions. So the way that I chose to express that in one sentence is mom and I have read the tool Gawande's being mortal. So if we're at a place where we just have to uh, cease and desist all interventions and, and just enjoy quality of life, that's fine with us. And the poor woman had an expression on her face that looked like she thought I was asking her to put you down like one of my pets. <laughs> So <laughs> I appreciated that she, uh, everybody in that entire process for that entire four months was as delighted by your personality mother as everybody is who ever meets you and therefore desirous of keeping you around as long as possible. But in the end, would you agree? I think you and I <laughs> were at peace with, if this was the end, then that, that was okay with both of us. Would you agree with that? Mm -hmm. In each one of these appointments, there tended to be a five-minute intro where I would speak on your behalf and tell people precisely the summary of this entire podcast, which is, mom is 86, she lived a good long life, she didn't expect to live this long, her quality of life is good, we don't want any extreme interventions, and so anything that's about to happen in this next medical appointment needs to happen in that context. Mm -hmm. We got very good at doing a tag team of telling people right up front what your expectations were, what your desires were, what your preferences were, 
and not just having, you know, your experience being led by what the doctors basically were required to do, right? Right. Same work. And then don't forget, we finished each day with a trip to Five Guys. (laughs) (laughs) You still going? Your turn. Oh, okay. Let's see. Follow my monthly podcast for free on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your irreverent audio. In between, you can find support, education, and over 150 resources on my website, thisisgettingold.com. Just add some dashes. Sign up for my newsletter to receive my latest irreverent insights, anecdotes, audio, and ever-growing list of shit. Performing my theme music was my mom and my son. My audio producer is Michelle Rado of Flying Pig Audio, and I am Irreverent Rachel, leaving you with some priceless outtakes now. Go embrace your own irreverence. All using internet audio. Choose that. Use that? Yes. What do you want me to do? Hit that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Hang up the other phone. Hang up the other phone. Where are you sitting on your bed, couch thing, mother? All right, I put my eyes on there. I I don't know where there is. Where is where is it? Just a few inches from me, over that way, and the other phone's over here. Okay, great. I can see you. Yes, mother. I cannot see. You see see me. (laughs) I can see me. Oh my God! Never mind. That's fine. Hmm. The whole point of this podcast, Mother, is to tell is to tell people that sometimes they have to advocate for life to end. Sometimes you have to tell the doctors, "No, I don't want twenty thousand tests. I just want to have quality of life and die naturally." Right? That's what this whole conversation is about. Okay? Yes. You got it. So I'm gonna time time my and don't talk, mom, because I'm recording this, so I don't want to have to redo it. Okay. Today I am going to introduce. All right, you're already doing it, mom. You can't move. Okay. Do not move. Don't touch your phone. Nothing. Okay. Mother. Mother, can you hear me? Mother. What? <laughs> you're the worst guest ever.